Here we are, another awesome day and another Keo conversation. My name is Mark Champagne and I unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. Today's guest is Kelly Boyce. She's a remarkable human being doing incredible work in this world. She's a mindfulness trainer, author, freelance producer, and has worked teaching meditation to United Nations humanitarian workers, Googlers, um, inmates at San Quentin State Prison, and veterans countryside. She loves helping people truly uncover their blind spots, which is actually the title of a new book coming our way, I believe, in May or June of this year, 2018. So enjoy this conversation. Um, It's loaded full of different practices that can be applied right away, um, personally uh, and professionally. And if you are enjoying the conversation, please give us a little love wherever you're listening. A review goes a long way in iTunes or in your podcast app. And if you take the time to leave um, a review, please leave us with one of your reflective questions, something that resonates with you and has made a difference in your life so we can share those out in the in the episodes with others and hopefully stimulate some more reflection. One of the questions of the day, uh, I'll, I'll start this off, is from Scott out in New York, and it's a simple question. Um, it, it's loaded, though, and it's, what am I truly worried about? And this is something personally I, I use as well. It's something we have in the app, um, and it, it's super powerful because if you think about it, you know, a lot of times the worries that we have in our life are really things that we've fabricated and and our imagination starts running wild. And it's incredible how powerful it is once you start releasing that, whether you're physically writing it down or using, you know, tapping on your keyboard and using an app or writing it on your laptop or computer, whatever the case may be, the, the most important point is that you're releasing it. And usually within you know, a few hours today or a couple days max, a lot of times those worries actually uh, vanish. So try it out. And, and I'd also encourage you to, to, to finish off that practice by, um, you know, finishing off with a gratitude type question. Usually uh, that's kind of the best setup or at least advice I've been given personally from um, Leo Baboda from, from Zen Habits. You release the worries and then you close it off by remembering uh, all the amazing things in your life. So thank you, Scott from New York. Lastly, this podcast would not be possible without the support of Keo. This is our daily reflection app. All of these awesome people end up in the app to help guide you through your reflection. So give it a spin in the Apple App Store by searching KYO. And thanks as always for giving us your attention today. Have the best day yet. Question: Who who are you, or what defines you? <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I could go all the way in with that one, or <laughs> well, um, or what are you passionate about? I guess as yeah, as you okay, yeah. You know, I feel passionate about truth oh, and wow. about uh, uncovering what's alive and what's real in any given moment and um not 
truth in the sense of, you know, that kind of radical truth telling where you say everything that you feel in every moment. Um, but, but truth in the sense of what's essential and, um, what's most deeply alive and real, um, in, in one's experience, in my experience, um, moment to moment, because I find that that is what guides me, um, and helps me be, I guess I would say my most authentic, you know, expression is to be true to what's there, to be true to what's true. And, sure. and I, and I find that, that, um, yeah, that, that being passionate about that has led me into all sorts of really fun, creative projects and, um, and into the mindfulness world and meditation. And that's why I journal in the mornings. Um, and it's, I, and I feel like it's interesting because I think it can be misunder, it can be misunderstood as sort of like navel gazing or, um, selfish, um, self-centered. Oh, it's all about me and being my expression of my best self. Uh, when, when I actually think that that's a mis. Nomer, is that the right way to say it? I don't know. It's a, it's a, um, it's a fallacy because when, when you are with what's real and with what's true, you're actually then more open to connecting with others and to being curious about them as well. And so I just feel like it's, it's like a foundational element and I want to help people, um, uncover that in themselves and not be threatened by it, I guess. Because it, it feels to me that it's very non-threatening, but that typically we're kind of guarded against just even admitting that we feel sad in a moment or happy even. <laughs> yeah. No. So. 100% agree. And um, that's a beautiful response, actually. So how – I'd imagine, you know, there was a point where you didn't have that figured out or even even now it's probably a constant journey, right, to, to uncovering your, your own truth and your own passion. You know, was there a moment where something switched for you that really led you down that discovery? Yeah, I'd say I, I recognized that I was suffering. Okay. And I, I had a lot of anxiety. I was having kind of, you know, panic attacks when I would fly. I was, um, I, I was sort of driven by this, this anxiety that I wasn't even in touch with. So it's in a way I was suffering without even knowing I was suffering. And so in the moment, I think that I realized that I was suffering. That's what changed things for me um, because I realized that I had more control than I thought I did over what was in my experience and that there was like a possibility for some of the things that maybe I was burying that felt threatening to, to be met and welcomed and seen and integrated, you know, instead of like driving me unconsciously, I wouldn't have been able to say any of that in that moment. <laughs> sure. Um, but, um, yeah, I think it was just, it was sort of years of, of not living aligned with not speaking my truth, like pushing down what I knew, doing what I, I pleased others. And then it just, it just kind of all came together. Um, I think, I think for me, there was, there was a moment I was actually living in, in Berlin in Germany 
and and it, there was a moment when I just realized, you know, it's like the Radiohead song, you do it to yourself, you yeah. do, you, you know, that's why yeah. it really hurts. And I mean, that's not a blaming song. It's like so true. We just do it to ourselves, but we don't even know we're doing it. And I, I think I just had like an epiphany moment where I realized that I was being driven by things that, that I was buying into and playing into. And that started me off on this search of um, getting real with myself about what was actually happening. <laughs> sure. I love that the way you put that, getting real with yourself. <laughs> it makes total sense. So how, um, so how did, how did you go about down that journey? Like what were some of the things that helped you again, go from realization to actually, you know, moving forward with that, that concept? Mm-hmm. I'd say uh, one of them was primary was um, this practice called yoga nidra. Um, and uh, the reason why that practice was so efficacious for me was because it, it calmed the nervous system. And, and so it really got me at the level um, where I was unconsciously kind of playing into this fight or flight freeze response. And it, and I didn't realize that my body actually needed to deeply relax and feel safe in order to just be real with my experience. I couldn't just bypass the fact that my body was a little just on overdrive and anxious. I mean, we all are to some extent now that was before, um, that was way back when, I mean, before I even had a phone that had texting on it. (laughs) (laughs) And so I wasn't necessarily distracted in the same way that I could say that I most likely am now. Um, but, um, but there's still a way that, that my nervous system and all of our nervous systems have this kind of like stress that runs us that we don't see. And, and yoga nidra I found was very powerfully effective because it let me kind of lie down and be in a guided meditation and let, it's just, I think when you lie down in meditation, you get your nervous system gets to know, Oh, I can relax. I'm safe. It's all good. And you're just touching in with that. So I did that repetitively for years, kind of like a 24-7 practice where if I was in the middle of the day and I felt like um, I could notice myself getting triggered, then I, or I could feel that my nervous system was taking over, I would stop and, and even just do five minutes of feel my left palm, feel my right palm, feel both palms simultaneously, you know, just get out of the story in the head and into the body. Sure. So that's one is yoga nidra. That practice started started really calming my nervous system. And from there, um, then I, I started getting interested in the insight practices around what the questions that we hold. And so I started asking myself some questions of, you know, what's what's alive right now? Um, that kind oh, of wow. thing. Love that. And, and, and then just getting, you know, I mean, even just yesterday I did this. And, um, yeah, yesterday, yesterday morning I had had, you know, it's like you have one of those moments. I had a moment with my boyfriend where he said something. I noticed that I had a reaction and he left for work and I sat there and I, and I just went, what's alive, Kelly, just feel what you're feeling. This is, this is not pathology to feel something. Uh, I don't have to be a perfect spiritual version of myself, you know? Yeah. And, um, and so I just felt what was there and I actually called him and said, you know what, this is not about you, but this is, 
Like this was in my experience and his response was so sweet. Cause I wasn't, of course, you know, putting it out on him and making him wrong. Um, and it just cleared it completely, you know? So that's, I guess what I mean by asking what's alive. It's like being willing to, uh, feel what's actually there and then like, and then let it move through and let it guide. And, and in that case lead to kind of deepening trust and intimacy with my partner. So love that. We definitely have not heard anything um, like that on this on the, uh-huh. these interviews. That is, it's funny because when you said what's alive right now, I actually took it in a, in a different way and thought. So I did something yesterday myself, just coming into this office. I'm always listening to podcasts or music, and decided like let's just have a little bit of actual silence in the car, mm. or even from parking the car and walking up the walk through kind of a nice park. Like it's mm-hmm. okay to just take in everything that's around. That's, so anyway, that's what I was thinking when you said what's alive. Oh, I it's, love that. Yeah. Like just trees, kind of the, the so wind, exactly the beautiful. Yeah. It's the same. And, and sometimes if I guess what's the most foreground is a personal experience and that's, what's alive. But if, if there isn't something that you're sitting with or working with then yeah, absolutely. Then it's like that in every month, like, Oh, trees <laughs> and not without the static. I love that. Well, even what you said earlier, too, and I find, um, even for myself, I mean, we're, Sine and I are both learning so much, right, going, launching this, this app and the business, and it just keeps snowballing, because I'd imagine even with you, when you started some of the, you know, your, your practice, you, you made mention of you noticing your triggers, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel like the, the more you do any practice, mindfulness practice, then it just keeps taking you up to that, you know, 40,000 foot view and you can, you're less reactionary and more, okay, we take a little bit of time here. And it's, it's just, it's nice because the more you do it, the easier it becomes and the more things are opened up to. And That's such a good way to say it. That's really how it is. It's like where I look at it, like we're these learning algorithms, you know, and it, like we, our, our, our bodies and minds learn to learn like we, and, and, it, oh, if I, if I, if I can see it, like you said, from this perspective, and then you notice that things go smoother and then you're the, the tendency then would be to return to that place and, and see what else is there and, and other, yeah, I love that. I like that 40,000 view. It almost feels endless, right? I mean, it's, yeah, exactly. It is. It's, yeah. It's just, I feel like it'll just keep getting better and better. And there's yeah. just so many different things that you can hmm. do. So that's, that's a great that's, question. That's a really good point, too, because I think that um, especially in the sort of self-help, spirituality, well-being, et cetera, it does. Sometimes we think, you know, there's this like end point that I'm going to get to where nothing's going to trouble me and um, or or I'll always be this or that. And, and what you're speaking to is the the unfolding and and that it is a process and it's not like a bullseye end goal because then when you're at that end goal, then the next moment comes <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and where are you, what's happening then, you know? And it's like, um, the willingness, yeah, the willingness to keep returning like that. That's so sweet. Of course. So Kelly, what, what makes you smile each day about the work that you're uh, doing? Well, I can say what makes me smile each day is, is a, is a feeling of, there's just this tremendous sense of well-being that, that feels, um, I've heard some people say, you know, it's the unchanging background of our lives. And, um, and, and, in my sense, it's, it, 
yeah, I guess you could say it's un, it's unchanging, but there there are all kinds of interesting, surprising, sometimes difficult circumstances that come up. But there's just this deep kind of heart smile to life that that is there that no matter what, it's like, oh, it's a lovely day. Oh, it's smoke. Okay, there's a I don't I want to be outside. I'm trapped and I feel deeply well. You know, so it's like holding these um opposites simultaneously and in doing that there's that there is that like fundamental well-being that makes me smile and um and then in terms of my work I think you know what makes me smile is just being able to I'm only doing work work projects that are 100% aligned with with um with my mission and my values yeah and 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 uh and so that is deeply rewarding and then I also have the sense that, you know, it's, it's helping people like the, the year of mindfulness that I host, there's a woman in Canada, she's in um, Quebec and she has ALS and she, she like eats from a tube and does, can't talk and is dying. And she's like, this course is changing my life and I'm going to be able to die. Well, stuff like that. Okay. I'll do that. All of this just for that woman. (laughs) Sure. So um, that kind of relieving of suffering also makes me really happy when I can see other people um, can have the experience I've had and continue to have. That's beautiful. And how did you, because I I feel a lot of people want to, or they strive to get to that, to that point Mm -hmm. of really working on the things that are, are to their true passion, right? And mission and whatnot. And sometimes it's, sometimes it's tough, but it, so is there any, any guidance or feedback that you can provide to help people actually do that? Yeah, I've experienced, I've learned it through a lot of trial and error and a lot of mistakes and a lot of saying yes when I should have said no and saying no, and I probably should have said yes. So that's how I feel like I've learned. It's like being, I've been willing to take these risks, um, and then see where it doesn't feel right anymore and then speak it. And, um, and that's very, that's very, it can be very risky when we're talking about our livelihood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I've taken some of those risks and realized that actually the other thing that felt more safe, like a full-time job, um, that can actually be gone in any moment too. And, you know, so, so for me, um, the process of, of feeling hundred percent aligned has come through a, a lot of, um, willingness to feel uncomfortable in, in situations and, and admit to myself that I'm uncomfortable so I can make a change. And, um, I was recently doing a really large scale, uh, global project and it, it, the team got to a point where, um, my colleague and I that, that created the project, we needed to step away because the, the team had some dynamics that were not going to go well moving forward. Okay. And so, um, we both said no to basically both of our dream projects. It, it is like my, my dream job that I've been wanting for 20 years. And, um, and we both stepped away from that because uh, out of integrity with this is not aligned anymore because this will keep hurting people in this small team that will then the project will hurt. It won't help. 
Sure. So for me, it was being willing to kind of say no to an amazing thing and then say yes to something that, you know, other things that feel like risks, like writing a book. And, Which I'm um, super excited about. Sorry, we'll <laughs> talk about that later. Yeah, so I think it's that. It's the willingness to risk and then the, the willingness to actually... I don't know. I know even this is a Bible thing, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, but let that be aligned to what, um, what your actual experience is. Yeah. Well, and Kelly, was it, was it obvious when you got to that point with that project that, you know, it's starting to go in the wrong direction? Cause I mean that I can't imagine that's gotta be a very challenging Yes, make, yes. Right? it was really, you know, what's interesting is it was obvious only because I'd experienced myself staying way too long in other projects. Okay. So I could see journey. what I was in for. And um, I had to learn that. But actually, because I had learned it, my, my no and my leaving that project wasn't a stressful decision. It was like, this is best. I know I'm going to trust if this is best for me and this small team, it's best for everyone. And the project can be revived moving forward in a different way. And indeed it looks like it will be. Um, and partially because we, we both pulled out of the project yeah. that, that will happen. So, um, that was interesting to me when I experienced what you'd look from the outside and say, this is one of the most stressful kind of work scenarios it didn't actually feel stressful because I just felt like I was, I, I, I was making decisions in each moment that, that were aligned. And I feel like the stress in my life at work and at home come from when I don't make decisions that are aligned. And then I, and you know, and then that's just the learning process. <laughs> sure. But it, it, it all stems around some sort of self-reflection is what I'm picking mm-hmm. up from that's you. That's right. It's interesting. That's right. I'll definitely ask you a little bit more about that. Um, before, I wanted to ask you about, because in, in doing the research for this, mm-hmm. you use the word um, stillness often mm-hmm. enough. And I, I really would love to talk to you about that and what stillness means to you. There's a few different things. One, one of which is, you know, sometimes just being quiet and being still you know, physically sitting down or, you know, lying down and with the intention to develop kind of a quality of stillness or to, to sense into a quality of stillness helps. I think it, it, it helps us tap into the stillness that's already there. So, um, I think that sometimes we think we're, I've thought that I was cultivating stillness which is true. So, you know, when you do sit down or, or just be still and open and, and sense your environment, you are cultivating the, the um, it's like a brain training to, to track back to a quality of stillness. At the same time, uh, what you're doing is tapping into the stillness that is already there and is fun- fundamental to you. And, um, in that stillness is kind of like a, to me, it feels like a, a pregnant stillness or something where, where there's, there's life there, um, that it doesn't simply just relax us, but it's like the still small voice or however you say it, there's, there's something deeply alive in that stillness that, that, that's more native and more close to what's real maybe than, you know, some of the more surface things we get distracted by, which aren't problems. There's nothing wrong with them and it's nat- natural. 
I really love that. I mean, as you're saying that, I was thinking in my head, I feel like people, and I put myself in this bucket, that I think people are starting to realize that stillness is important. But I think, I, I, at least I'm realizing that the first step of that is probably more in the, in the concept of if I'm still, then I can go faster or something later. That's right. But um, if we can go mm. past that and go into what you're mm. talking about and actually be still, then mm-hmm. and trust it, right? Mm-hmm. Knowing that it, it will help on so many other levels. Um, That's really great. interesting. I love that. Yeah, because it does, it is kind of, um, <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit sold that way. Yeah, go, go slow to go fast. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, that's right. And, and there's, there is truth in that. And you're right though, the, the nuggets of, of real, um, transformation do come from just the act of, of, of slowing down and being still and not, not in the performance that they give you on the other side of it. Yeah. Well, but I think, I mean, what I'm learning through the work that we're doing is that, I mean, if you went all the way to that extreme, we would lose everyone essentially. Whereas, you know, just the fact that people are okay with the fact that multitasking is probably not the greatest thing. And it's not too long Mm -hmm. ago that, you know, that was a badge of honor. Right. That's right. So if we can go from there to, okay, slowing down to still do, you know, better work and then keep keep going down the ladder. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, if you, if you try to go all the way right at once, if you, you're not going to catch most people because that's not where their head space is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I did want to talk to you about that because obviously you've done some um, great work um, through, you know, the search inside yourself program with, with Google. And then um, it seems like you've done a lot of other corporate work as well. And I, we talked about this uh, when we were together, like we've kind of got the public and, and private or corporate side of our business mm-hmm. as well. And the challenge has always been kind of what, like what we just talked about, but relating to that corporate environment or using the language that, that works and doesn't, you know, scare people away and doesn't mm-hmm. deter them from actually opening up to try these, these things. What is there anything that you found has worked in your journey with those two worlds, let's say? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, I do think that it's helpful. Google's program is great because it talks about attention training. And, and that's not just Google's program. Other, other forms of mindfulness do the same thing. And that's just very helpful. It's like, oh, we're just doing a workout. Just like you work out at the gym, you're just working your mind out so that, you know, you have more space available to see what's actually there and, and um, be more present to your work environment so that you make better decisions and perform better. And, and, and so that that piece um, has is actually a really nice frame because everyone can relate to that. And then it's also not woo woo. So it's nice. And, um, and then any, anything kind of words like well being or stress reduction, or although that's kind of a little five years ago or 10 years ago, but um, (laughs) you know, resilience training, (laughs) Um, any, anything like that also really helps. I mean, I think if you just say to any, any corporate environment, who here's stressed? Everybody raises their hand, you know, and, and then you talk about sleep, like who needs more sleep or whatever it is. I mean, it's, these are all such, um, universal things that you deal with when you're in the corporate environment. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so to speak to these practices as both 
aiding what hurts and then helping maybe, you know, train at the same time for, um, for, yeah, yeah, just in terms of decision-making and in terms of emotional intelligence and awareness and self-regulation is a really big one. So the term self-regulation is, is, is a, um, really useful one because we all need self-regulation and um and so yeah you tell someone you have some tricks to help them you know catch themselves before they react okay most people are going to be interested and um and and then and then finally i think in the corporate setting too when you talk about difficult conversations or you know how to meet those moments of intensity um you know, with your best self and, um, you know, so I think, I think when you get into the interpersonal environment at work, this is also very helpful and people really perk up and listen and they want to know, you know, how do I mindfully listen to someone? Um, and so we do, we do a practice that came from Google and other places I did with the UN as well, which is just mindful listening where, one, one person talks for two minutes and the other person just hears them and doesn't actually interject. And then they switch. The other talks for two minutes. And then the next two minutes is just a meta conversation. How was that to do? And I've heard people at Google and the UN and all these places basically say, you know, this is life changing. You know, I, if I'm going to go home to my spouse and ask them just to listen to me for two minutes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, um, you know, and, and so... And it's actually a practice that you can do easily or you don't tell someone you're doing it. You just listen from from a place of not needing to solve their problem. It's I mean, it's it's so relatable. And I would imagine, you know, a lot easier said than done. Right. And you, you would a lot think, easier. right, just two minutes. But we're just programmed oh, people just years. say, oh, it was so hard not to say anything. Or the, the person that's talking says, wow, it was it was so hard just to keep talking, you know? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, but that's very, thank you for this because I mean, Mm -hmm. other than uh, selfishly asking you this for us, um, the the people that are reading this as well. And that listening, I think uh, most people on our side are either have practiced some sort of mindfulness practice, I should say, and, um, want to do more or want to spread it. And I think this is, this is why I asked was, you know, and a lot of that has to do with where they're working and whatnot and how they can, again, be relatable and get people's attention without going into, like you said, kind of this woo-woo language statement, right? Exactly. And another practice, um, we created this thing with the UN called the five mindful breaths. And it's, Hmm. you know, it's just sometimes nice just to have a name for things, even though, you know, we called it the 30 second practice of five mindful breaths. And, and the thing is, when you inhale to one, exhale to two, you're lengthening your exhalation and you're stimulating your parasympathetic rest and digest nervous system. And doing that will take anyone from, uh, you know, a hundred to zero pretty quickly, even just five breaths of it. And, um, and that presence, you know, it's funny. It's, I, I think those kinds of, all those tools are, are ways to hack into presence just, just the presence of just being and, um, and that there's something that's actually telling in and of itself, because there's something 
um, infinitely kind of relaxing about just, just being. And I have, um, my, my teacher, Richard Miller calls it, he says, imagine yourself, you know, on a like on a cot outside or a hammock outside in your backyard on a, on a cool summer's day with lemonade in your hand. And there's nothing to do for the next few hours. Like that's this open sense of presence. And, and that's what I feel like those little tricks, um, or they're not just tricks, they're practices, but they help us into that, invite us into what's native to us. <laughs> sure. Well, no, and like what we talked about last week, I mean, what's nice about that is that you don't have to wait until you get to that deck with the lemonade, right? You can exactly. do that. Exactly. And mm-hmm. so we can mm-hmm. do that in the busy cities or in, in any environment. And it's just mm-hmm. showing the benefits of that and, and trying, again, Get, getting people to think about those type of things. Yeah, and I think that's actually why it's so important to to stress that it's it's already there, mm-hmm. you know, and that it's it, it, in some sense you're cultivating the capacity to turn toward yourself and to turn towards um, your own um, openness. But at the same time, you're not cultivating something that's not there, and and so that then that's like so that's so I don't know. It's just such a relief. Yeah. Well, even so, it, even breathing. I mean, yeah, we have exactly. to breathe to stay alive. <laughs> um, I read some interesting science on that. That you know, if you, if, I forget the name of the the article, but it was just really around the fact that people that they were following that did breathing exercises like this and really paid attention to that actually living longer because they're taking because mm. what they're what they're finding is we're we're having. We're breathing shorter breaths because we're crunched over, we're on our phone, mm-hmm, and we're not, right. right, versus being opened up and taking and actually adds years to your life, which it's is amazing. crazy to think. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, exactly. That, that just simply noticing your breath and, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I completely believe it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's neat. Um, let's jump into some of your practices then. You, you mentioned that you do, um, you do journal. Mm-hmm. So, and the other thing I wanted to ask you about that I saw on your website, you talked about, you know, the importance of essential questions and mm-hmm. to your journey and to your core and whatnot. Um, does that work its way into your own practice at all? Yeah. Um, so I love journaling. I love, I love open journaling. So I journal every day and just whatever comes out, you know, sure. for five or 10 minutes and then I also really love journaling too, and an open question that I need to fill in the response to. So I'll often journal to what's alive for me right now is dot, dot, dot. And then, and then I just, it just sets me off on a course. Um, so that is an essential question that I do repeatedly come back to. Um, and that could take, me in any direction and what it what it does yeah is it it sort of brings forward what I am actually most essentially sitting with in my life and um and then there yeah yeah what's alive for me right now is and and I host these your mindfulness things these monthly mindfulness things and there are you know hundreds of people on these um on this live session and always at the end we have two two prompts that they can share with each other and I usually, almost always, the second question is, what's alive for me right now is, because I sure. always think we can come back to it. And um, 
So that's one primary one. I do the open journaling and then I journal with, and I have done this several times since I learned it at Google, the, you know, if five years from now, if everything in my life were, um, if I took the lid off on all possibilities and everything in my life were beyond, um, you, you know, what I would love it to be, then I would be feeling, I would be doing, I would be, and I really did kind of scoff at that at the beginning, to be honest, <laughs> but then I did it and it's been very powerful for me and I've done it, um, again and again over time. And then the suggestion actually is that you do that and then you tell five people what you wrote down. <laughs> oh, interesting. Okay. Cause I've yeah. done this practice too. I've never gone to that level and but it, it is like, it is fun because it's almost, well, it's like your vision, vision boarding or dreaming essentially, like there's no rules exactly. and away you go. But that is That's right. interesting because there's some accountability, obviously. In it that. is, it is. And, and you choose who you want to tell. I told, I remember when I had, had written down that I wanted to work with the UN and this was some years ago. And I told, I told Mang who wrote search inside yourself and, and I told a a congressman that I knew at the time, you know, I'm just putting this out there. I want to work for the UN with Congress at some point. And I, I've written this in a journaling thing and I'm just telling you. And, um, and, and, you know, and, and Mang said to me, yeah, I have a feeling at some point we'll work at the UN together. (laughs) And, um, and it's just funny when you do put it out there in that way, you're, you're, it's vulnerable, but it's also, it inspires you to what's best in you and what might be dormant, you know, if it, if it isn't expressed. Sure. What's uh, since, cause normally I ask these at the end, but since we're talking questions, is there, is there a mm-hmm. third question that you, you ask yourself? Yeah. Um, and it doesn't have to be frequent. It could also be, you know, during bigger events in your life or but something that has resonated with you yeah that's a great question actually uh yeah so when I come to those those choice points or when I'm in a challenging maybe work scenario um yeah actually I think what the the questions that I'm I'm asking myself maybe as opposed to what's alive or um, you know, in the future, an ideal life are, are more around, um, truth and alignment. You mm. know, it's like, it's like what, if, if I, if I, if I admit to myself what I already know, then that is this. And if I stop telling myself that I don't know, <laughs> Um, you know, then that is this, it's like, it's the the flip side of the coin where if I admit what I already know, and the other one is, um, let go of what I think I know and, and admit what I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. And because I find they're really balancing for each other. If, if I say I'm in a work scenario and admit what I already know, well, I already know that this team fundamentally does not work well together. And I've been ignoring that truth and trying to manage things, but it's actually come to a place where there's a blockade to us moving forward. So then if I say, what do I think I know, but I can let go of and admit that I don't know, then it would be something like, you know, I think, I think I need to stay in this project because it's my dream job. Well, 
if I let go of that and admit that I actually don't, don't know that I need to stay in this project and I'm in the question, I get to live that question. I don't have to respond or react right away, but I get to at least admit my own question that I'm sitting with. Yeah. That, those are really powerful. Hmm. And thank you for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's definitely very unique. So happy to have that included. Good. In what are some of the non-negotiables in your routine? Mm-hmm. Um, journaling, meditation, and exercise. Okay. <laughs> and how does that play out typically in a, in a yeah. normal day? Um, in the morning, I always, I like to journal in the morning. I just do it at the same time. And, um, like with a cup of coffee, I have a, I have my routine Okay. and, um, I usually link my practices to something that I'm already doing. I are something I already always do, like having a cup of coffee and journal. Um, and then in terms of meditation, that's, that's a little more fluid for me over the years. I've been, um, you know, there's sometimes where I'm practicing an hour or two hours every day and it's morning and evening and other times where I go on long retreats, et cetera. Um, now what I actually find is it's, it's pleasant for me just to sit, like just to sit with no distraction Mm -hmm. and without any necessarily like I'm going to do brain training or attention training or go into this deep question I'm holding and more just kind of an open um, sitting. So that could literally be, you know, after journaling on the couch with a cup of coffee in my hand for 10 minutes. And and there's something so pleasing to me about that. It's like a very pleasant experience just to sit in presence. And, um, and truthfully, it feels like a 24-7. It's like I can't turn it off. At some point, it got to the, the place where I can't turn practice off. So I feel like I'm always practicing without trying it's just effortless kind of presence to to life not including when i'm totally not present you know it's presence to that but that's i mean that's just such a testament to obviously an incredible amount of work and dedication on your part over the years right to get to that Mm -hmm. excuse me get to that point because if you think of any any type of habits you know some people might be Mm -hmm. able to say that for eating like it's not a chore to try to consciously eat healthy or whatever the case may be it's just normal like that's part of me i've Mm -hmm. you know not a lot of people can say what you what you just Mm. said so congratulations i'm hoping i'm striving to get to that place as well it's coming yeah yeah because it is and actually there's a um there's been some research done around like the movement from effortful doing to effortless being and, and, and it's, a, it is a spectrum and you always with any skill and with like, even with the flow state, you always start like at the edge of your own challenge and mm. skill. Um, and so, yeah. And so I'm actually, and I put that in my book, just some stuff about like the movement of med- mindfulness and, um, awareness moving to sort of like, um, automaticity to where, where like where we've either just through dedicated practice and I think the other pieces through, and that's where the journaling comes in and other insight practices, hacking through our, our beliefs that aren't true, that get us closer to, uh, it's actually like what you said, the 40,000 foot view is, is actually going to serve me and my family and my work people more. So I'm just automatically going to land there Mm -hmm. and um it's a balance between practice and that kind of hacking through our 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 
our automatic, our other, <laughs> the, the automatic behaviors that we want to see through. So, um, yeah, so it does, I do feel that that is, it is a movement that happens over time from, and, and they've even um, tested people's brains in meditation. You know, the new, new beginners to meditation are using their prefrontal cortex more because they're trying to tell themselves to direct their attention to their breath. Yeah, of course. And they, they measure the brain of a longtime meditator and, and that part of the brain isn't functioning. It's just kind of offline and they're just resting. But that only comes from having learned to do that. So you can't get there without. <laughs> no, well, exactly. And like even uh, we, we talked about this as well last week for, for us with Keo, right, is to help people get started. But at the end of the day, I mean, if we're really successful in what we do, people mm-hmm. will just be able to do that naturally. I mean, our goal is to get people going. Absolutely. So, because I think even everybody for myself, has to start somewhere. Yeah. Well, just to, to try to get the habit going. Because I even think of myself with meditation. I mean, I, I started with all the apps as well, mm-hmm. and, and it's starting. I'm personally starting to notice. Well, either either like yourself, I just want to sit in silence, or just mm. have just a calming soundscape of some sort, and mm. less about the the guided part, mm-hmm. um, which mm-hmm. wasn't always the case obviously. Yeah. I had the exact same experience too. I did a lot, a lot, a lot of guided stuff. And then at some point it's like, Oh, actually just the the stillness, just, it's like basking in in the stillness, you know? And that's what Rick Hansen's work is so neat. He does, um, the, the hardwiring happiness and neuroplasticity stuff and says, you got to hang out with pleasant states in order for your brain to learn from them. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, just last question on your on your routine. Um, this came up in, in a, the last interview I did actually um, in San Francisco, and the girl that I interviewed, she had talked about how she always does her journaling first, then meditates. And it's funny, mm-hmm. I always do the re- reverse, but um, uh-huh. it, it kind of makes sense that you would want to unleash your thoughts and then meditate. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So is that, is, is the journaling part for you always kind of the first thing that you're doing in your routine? Oh, you know, interestingly I do. Um, but, but I, I think it just depends on, on the person as well, because it may be that you sit in meditation and then that your journaling is more, has, there's more fruit to the journaling process because Fair. of yeah. the silence that, ca- you know, that it came from. Um, I'd actually be curious to experiment with that. And then another thing that what my teacher used to do is sit a notepad with a pen right beside his cushion. And when he um, would get distracted, like have, he'd be sitting there in meditation and then there's this, wait a minute, I have to at four o'clock, I have to whatever. He would write it down in the book and set it aside and go, I'm going to come back to this later. And, um, and just to kind of get it onto paper and out of his head. Um, so I think that can be helpful as well. That is really insightful. Interesting. Okay. Let's talk about your book. Oh, sure. If if you're okay with doing that, obviously. Yeah, sure. Just give a a quick little, first of all, that's another thing we talked about, Sinead and I have, it's as a brilliant name to the book. (laughs) I don't know how you thought of that or how that came about, but I think blind spots, I mean, it just, Mm. it resonates, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. why don't we start there? How did, how did the the name come, come to the book. Sure. I was working with a team at the publishing company and we had about 20 different possibilities and, um, and it ended up, you know, the blind spot effect, how to stop missing what's right in front of you. And, um, yeah, that was kind of a, it was an effort on everybody's part 
I, I think on the, on the creative team and because we were trying to get down to what the book is most essentially about. And, um, and, and it is, it's kind of saying we all have blind spots. That's, that's, you know, the blind spot effect. And then, you know, how do we stop missing what we don't see? Cause it's hard to do. And, uh, yeah, so, so that's how the title came about. <laughs> awesome. And so do you want to just give a quick description of what it's all about? Sure. Yeah. It's a, it's basically, um, it, it's, it's a book that, that highlights the many different ways that we do go blind and we go blind in our attentionally speaking. There's something called attentional blink where we actually miss stuff in the visual field, um, that if we train in mindfulness, it helps us catch, you know, that's, that's data. That's like numbers and letters on a screen that, um, comes from research, the attentional blink studies. So, you know, we're blind visually and, and with the actual physical blind spot in our eye and the retina, which is where the light comes in and lets us see everything else. Mm -hmm. So I think it's fascinating. Even our physical blind spot in our eye helps us see the rest of the world and we just fill in what we don't see. We just fill it in. And, um, so we don't even see, we can't physically see our own blind spot. And, um, and so in the same way, uh, we do that in our emotional lives. I think that, you know, we mostly see accurately, you know, um, and the places that we miss were, um, typically, um, I think sometime, when we were young, we formed these, um, coping strategies when we don't get our needs met and, um, that help us go blind to the emotion we're feeling because it keeps us safe. And sure. so then we end up filling in that, that gap, that emotional gap with other things. And, um, and so we all have our own unique emotional blind spots, you know, um, one person might be kind of driven by this underlying disappointment, you know, they're constantly disappointed in everybody and everything around them. And that's really because when they were five, their parents didn't let them, when they expressed disappointment, their parents shut them down, you know? And so it's just like returning to returning these parts of ourselves home um, and seeing them not as pathology or as bad or as, you know, oh my God, I'm so blind. I've been driven by sadness my whole life or something or anxiety. Um, for me, that was my emotional blind spot, anxiety. Um, but more seeing as just a part of myself that hasn't, you know, come home in a way. So, um, and then we're blind in our, in our thinking. And so I'm talking about our, our hidden biases in the book, what Daniel Kahneman's work around, um, you know, how we have these short mental shortcuts that help us get through life, but where they go wrong. And so I'm, I sort of talk about that and our blind spots in our thinking and then blind spots in our core beliefs, like, you know, this core drivers that we don't realize, um, motivate us to act in certain ways that might be obvious to people around us, but that we don't see ourselves. And those That's are so the powerful. ones that are very interesting to me. Sure. <laughs> Bless all of our hearts. We all have them. And so it's like helping to dig down into what that core belief is. I'm not safe or, you know, no, I'm not lovable or this or that. And these, they're, they're these, um, just, sweet little innocent coping strategies that turned into like long-term behaviors. And so we're blind in, in our thinking in terms of beliefs. And then I have a, a chapter on love is blind. Okay. Um, I have a chapter on, on feedback and how to work with um, asking for people to share your blind spots without like shaming yourself and, and also having people give you feedback. And that chapter is called fuck feedback. Yes. <laughs> um, and then, and then I go into kind of relational stuff around, um, 
relational dynamics and where we might have blind spots and, and then our intuition, like how, how can our intuition actually help us, um, navigate life and, and see where we're blind. And then I kind of move into the core blind spot that, that I discovered, which is, um, the thing I think that, that the mechanism in all of us that makes us defend ourselves kind of against the world, it's that we don't always do it, but we all have it kind of at a core. And there's a way that, um, in meditation, I was able to see all the way into that kind of wow. mechanism for myself that, that sort of the undoing of that or the, the freedom that came from that sort of ripple effect out to everywhere. So that now it's like, I, I just feel I can see from all sides, including the part of me that shows up very defensive, you know, it's like, it doesn't mean I don't feel perfect. I just have seen deeply. And, um, and so, yeah, so that's pretty much what the book is as longer than just a spiel. I have to get that down to like a quicker spiel. But <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that's the detail. <laughs> and it's just uh, like, I'm really excited to read it. Um, because I feel like there, there's so much value in, in everything you just described, but it's, it starts off in a place that like we've been talking about this whole chat it starts off in a place that people can immediately relate to the visual, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Which So congratulations for, mm-hmm. for setting it up like that. Because then obviously, again, like what we're talking about using the right language and all of that, then we can just unlock a whole other world for people, right? Exactly. So yeah, you can't go too, too deep too quickly because it'll just alienate people. And they're like, ah, there's nothing wrong with me. I hate that book. <laughs> Yeah, no, exactly. And that's not the place it comes from. It's not that there's something wrong. It's actually coming from if we can train our attention and and be mindful, then we can actually open to what really is there. Just admit it to ourselves and learn how to welcome and self. I have a chapter on self compassion too. So, Mm -hmm. so Kelly, how how can I read this before May? Is there a possibility (laughs) somehow? I'll still buy the book. I promise. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm getting actually the physical. So I'm, I'm just, uh, I have a new editor now. So we're going through these, like the final rewrite and okay. it should be done the first week of December. They're sending me the, the physical book in, in January. And wow. I imagine at that point I'll have a manuscript and I would be happy to send one to you at that point. Thank you. So yeah. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. Last, last question for you. Um, sorry, two questions. One, mm-hmm. um, what excites you most about the next six months? Oh, I will have my book finished. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just felt like that was an immediate answer. My book will be finished. Because <laughs> this is the first first time you've you've gone through the whole process, right? It is. Yeah, it's the first one, and I and it you know keeps getting kind of pushed out and longer than I thought, and 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 it will like it's inevitable that it will actually be done, and I will be no longer writing that book, which will be <laughs> an amazing place to be. <laughs> sure, sure. That's awesome. Uh, last question is, as, as we sit here together now, um, in this present moment, what, what are you most grateful for? Uh, well, actually, I, I feel so grateful for this, for this conversation. And also for, um, you know, in the same way that, that you shared about me, it's like you have this quality of curiosity and presence and then also like an ability to articulate what's going on as we're ta- as we're talking oh, that, that is that is uh very rich and inspiring to the process and 
Yeah. So uh, I feel really grateful just to be sitting here talking with you. (laughs) So nice, Kelly. Thank you. Mm -hmm. It's, um, it's right back at you. Like I said earlier, it's (laughs) just, I mean, we meet a lot of people in life, obviously. And for Mm -hmm. me, it's just when people like yourself show up, it's, Mm. it's a gift. So thank you. Ah, absolutely.